right, what's up, folks? Engaged podcast back in the building. Uh, very grateful to have my brothers uh, uh, back at the helm. We got uh, future Dr. Ball, principal of the California uh, California High School. What is that? What's it called? Yes, that's what we're called, California High School, San Ramon, California. Hi, Blue Ribbon Ball. I see you in the building. <laughs> <laughs> and we got the uh, the uh, uh, middle school principal of the year, Kansas City Middle School, Greater Kansas City Middle School Principal of the Year, Dr. Smith in the building. What's happening, sir? Uh, what's good, man? It's good to be back on the air, back in the lab with, with the fellas. So let's get it cracking. Yeah, so, hey, so happy belated birthday. I know your birthday was in January. Happy birthday. I appreciate yeah. it. appreciate the whole, yeah, the whole month was lit, the whole entire month. <laughs> yeah. And rumor has it you had a ball. Oh, it was it was lit. From from January 1 to January 31st, we went we went in. We did a lot of traveling, racked up in <laughs> points of Southwest. Uh, yeah. To see a couple of different countries. What number countries. was this? What number what was, was this? this? Uh, this? Fo Tray. Fo Tray. Okay. All right. No. All right. Well, hey, way, way to do good things for yourself, man. Appreciate you in the building. All right. Self-care so, is important. Self-care is 100% important, right? So so uh, title of this show is uh, how we can uh, utilize parents as thought partners, right? So jumping in, Ball, when you think about parents as thought partners, let's get a working definition. Like, what does that mean to you? To me, it means that uh, our parents are our partners in what we do in school. It's not just isolated to the principal or the staff at school or the students themselves, but we're, we're inviting our parents in to be part of uh, the decision-making process. And uh, at the very least, they're aware of uh, the direction we're headed as a school. Love that. Uh, uh, Kansas City Principal of the Year, what, what's your thoughts? Uh, for me, um, there are value voice in the decision-making process, like Boss said, like um, we're actively seeking out parents' voice. Um, making sure that it's a two-way conversation and we're not always the one delivering information, but we're able to take in information, but then also do something with that information to make sure a parent's voice is not just being heard, but being valued. Yeah, love that value piece, right? So putting it back on y'all, man, give me, tell me a story or give me an example of how you have used a parent as a thought partner. Of course, this is going to be different for both of you because you don't work in the same space. So uh, Smitty, we'll start with you, Dr. Smith. Uh, an example of how you use a parent as a thought partner? Uh, for us, I mean, I, I was first and foremost go to my PTA, uh, our PTSA, um, which is ran by uh, Ms. Dugan and Ms. Derbish. Uh, well, Ms. Dugan is actually my uh, PTSA president. Ms. Derbish is our treasurer. And then Ms. Williams is um, our vice uh, president. Um, but basically, those are three people that I just really rely on when a lot of things going on in the building. Give you a specific example. Last year, when we redid the mission and vision of our school, um, we really pulled them in to get that parent perspective on what it is that we wanted to make our school be. What was the vision and the mission that we were aiming for? So as our staff crafted it out, we kind of went back to them as thought partners to kind of help decompose it, break it down, build it back up to make sure that not only was it fitting for our staff and our students, but it was also fitting for our parents. Because one of the things we say in our uh, vision is that, you know, every adult and every student so basically not just the the adults in the building but those adults outside the building whether it be parents or community partners yeah love that bro thanks for sharing um so sir on you example yeah i would say very very similar um this is my first year at my current school uh at cal high and uh we have a very strong uh, parent voice uh our, our 
PTSA is outstanding group. And I think that uh, when I came in initially, it was really important for me to establish a strong relationship with the parent leaders. Uh, I communicate uh, quite frequently with our PTSA president, uh, Ms. Margaret. She is amazing. Uh, she is a straight shooter. She will tell you how it is, uh, where she's coming from. And she does a great job of, of gathering the voices of parents because they, they seek her out you know, through social media or in the community. Uh, to just provide feedback. And she is a good, great sounding board and uh, provides great feedback when it comes to the decisions that I want to make and the vision of where we want to go as a school. So uh, very similar to uh, Dr. Smith that uh, our parents are, are crucial and we have to be active when we engage them. Love that. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we're doing at the Riverhead Charter School is that you know, I, I feel like the, the focus on uh, doing things with parents as opposed to doing things to parents, right? I feel like there are a lot of schools that fall into that rat race of uh, it being so oppositional in terms of home versus school. And so I think we do a really good job with like creating that partnership, creating that open door policy so that parents know that, you know, we're there for them, right? And a lot of times we don't do any advertising when it comes down to our enrollment usually by word of mouth and right now uh, based off of our current uh, our current projections uh, we are having the best year that we've ever had in terms of uh, student enrollment uh, right now we have 66 kindergartners and we've only been enrolling for um, the past month right so not even a month and so we're on pace to have over 250 uh, kindergarten kindergartners apply for 90 seats, right? So, you know, that is, it's incredible. And it's a tribute to the fact that our parents, they want the best for their kids, right? So like I'll occasionally, I'll show the data, right? So like, it's no disrespect towards the district that we get the kids from, but I think that it's very important for us to be transparent and show parents like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what the district's doing. You make your decision based off of what's gonna be in the best interest of your family, but I'm gonna provide you with all the tools that I can in order for you to make an informed decision, right? And so I think that that's how we're uh, using parents as thought partners at our school. But fellas, so, you know, when you jump in, you got a lesson plan, you got an objective. So it's, it's seven minutes in and we've met our objective. We've already talked about the main focus. But there's some other things that we need to talk about. I got school leaders on here. And um, the topic we're gonna jump into is a addressing disrespect as a school leader, right? Because y'all are black men. And I really wanted to know, like, how y'all would react to certain things that we're seeing on the Internet. And uh, I feel comfortable in this space with having this conversation with you all, because I know that you'll be delicate and you'll you'll talk about it the way that it needs to be talked about. So this is incident one. So for folks that are listening and not viewing this right now, as, as, as we speak, this was a bus encounter in which a little girl was being pummeled by a, a, a boy that looks like he was a, a lot older than, than her. And then um, it was another uh, little gent, that uh, a little, little dog that, that jumped in as he was seeing 
the older kid, um, you know, put put his hands on on this little girl. And so both of y'all got daughters, right? And so from from the perspective of a school leader, how would you address this and why? Uh, Dr. Smith, we'll start with you. Uh, so I, mean, I, I remember when I, when I started first seeing this video, um, I believe when I seen the first time I seen it was when you posted it on Twitter. Um, you're going to get that immediate reaction from everybody. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this. You know, let's, you know, basically we want a pound of flesh and don't get me wrong. Like there definitely needs to be some discipline that needs to take place, um, you know, to make sure that this young lady is protected moving forward, but also to help this young man know that this is not how you treat a woman. But the thing that comes to mind with me is that we can't just look at this and address the symptom. What's the underlying cause? Obviously, there is a culture or a climate on that bus in that school, within that school community that says that this is okay. Okay behavior. I'm pretty sure if we were to go to that school or that school community, there's probably other incidents that's very similar to it. So my first thought process was, how do we address the underlying causes that's causing this issue to even occur? You know, why did it get to that point? Where's the bus driver at? How do we have better handling for other students to step in? Um, we just had our grade level meetings this past Friday um, with our students. And I met with, you know, sixth grade, seventh, eighth, eighth grade, all individually. And I talked to them about that whole thing about our vision where it says each adult and student. Like we have to help each other be accountable. So I gave them several examples when so-and-so was being, you know, mean to another classmate. You need to step in and tell them that's not how we treat students within our school community. When so-and-so is disrespecting somebody else, you need to step in and say that's how, not how we don't treat people in our school community. Like we can no longer sit back and be bystanders and watch other kids be bullied, picked on, abused, talked down to, disrespected, um, had homophobic comments said to them. Like it's going to take all of us to be held accountable because there's only 55 of us adults in this building and there's 600 of y'all. So we can't be every place at every time. So how do we empower our students to step up and be leaders in the building to help sh make sure situations like this don't take place within our own school communities? So, yeah, we want to address the situation, you know, that took place, that the outcome. But we, we definitely want to address what was the antecedent that led to this whole situation starting to, to begin with. Yeah. Thanks for handling that, Dr. Smith. Uh, here's your Dr. Ball, sir. How would you address yeah. it? I love that approach that, that Dr. Smith uh, take, takes on as far as being able to empower students. I think that's a huge thing. I think when our when our students know that we have their back and that if they do stand up, if they step in the gap when there's no adult there and they're doing the right things, they know that we're going to have their support. That's going to lend itself to that. You know, I was thinking a lot of the same things that, that uh, Dr. Smith was thinking as well. You know, where is that bus driver? I mean, a lot of times for us as, as school leaders, you know, we're hearing about these things after the fact. And, you know, we have to piece together, you know, kind of what happened. And that is important for us to do because we're the ones that are going to be called uh, to account uh, when it comes to that. Um, we just went through some training here in our district about, you know, the investigation process and what we need to do in order to protect our students, in order to protect staff and protect ourselves. You know, so that that's one of the things that I was thinking about, okay, what steps, you know, would I take, you know, who am I talking to? Who am I calling, you know, parents, the bus driver, you know, the supervisor for that bus driver, you know, what training has, has that bus driver received? What training have the rest of those students received in order to keep uh, everyone safe? Because I, I just had a conversation with some students uh, earlier today around leadership and like, we're all leaders. We all have a responsibility to take care of one another. We can't just sit by and, and watch something like that happen or take out our camera phone and, and film it 
when someone is in distress. Obviously, we don't know the, exactly what led to that, but the bottom line is we can't be taking out our phone as, as the first response. We need to step in and, and keep each other safe. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not going to lie. Listen, I'm glad that y'all are here, and I'm glad y'all had that well-rounded uh, response. But if that's my daughter that's being assaulted like that, right? Like, I don't give a shit about a root cause analysis if that's my daughter. And so you're going to have a dad that's going to come up and that's going to give y'all hell. Because at the end of the day, that's his daughter that just got assaulted, physically assaulted, right? And so in thinking about that, right, um, you know, is that still the same approach? Like, how do you talk? Okay, better question. How do you talk to that irate dad that is is his number one job in the world, besides being a husband, is to be a protector of his child, right? How do you have how do you have that conversation with dad? Uh Dr. Uh, future Dr. Bob, we'll, we'll start with you. You know, I, I, I think you you gotta come in with a level of humility. I mean, because you know, putting myself in that same position, I'd be on 10 as well, coming for that principal, coming for whoever is in that school and running it. And, you know, I got to stand stand right there and, and take that brunt initially and let him get get it all out. Obviously, not too far, but but receive <laughs> receive part of that, you yeah. know, because that's 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 part of the job. And, and when we're talking about work with parents like, hey, I'm with you. This was wrong. Let's figure out what, what steps are going to take. We're going to take. And, and, and resources to make sure that, that your daughter is protected moving forward. Yeah. Appreciate that. Love that answer. Thank you for, um, for, for that humility. Uh, sir, principal of the year, how, how, how are you going to irate dad? Uh, I, I guess I'm going to that conversation knowing that we're not going to answer, you know, this is going to get addressed in one meeting. Um, that first meeting is going to be a chance to allow dad just to kind of sit back. I mean, not sit back, but really to kind of vent his frustration. Um, I think this is a time where we need to empathize with him because when you look at that video, there's there's no justification for what took place. There's nothing I'm going to say that, oh, you know, we wish this, you know, like I'm going to give him a chance to really just get his emotions out because at the end of the day, there's nothing rational. I'm going to be able to talk to him about why he's in that state of emotional um, distress. So I think that first meeting is just give him a chance to get everything out, maybe document some things and say, you know what, give me a chance to investigate this. How about we reconvene tomorrow or at the end of the week and we can talk about some next steps as far as getting your input and how we can better, you know, not just protect your daughter but protect everybody on that school bus um but definitely knowing that this is going to be something that's going to be multiple meetings in order to get to a resolution that this father's going to be okay with yeah and um i i think so i i think in saying that right and y'all's initial approach i think one of the things that we kind of left out that we didn't talk about was what does that restorative conversation now look like right and so when this young gent uh comes to his senses uh, and we haven't even talked about his mother or his father and like what their approach is going to be to him. Right. Because you'll have some mothers that will look at that video and be like, yo, this is not how I'm raising you. Some some parents will be like, this is not how I'm raising you. And then it could get aggressive towards him based off of, you know, of his actions. But then also, as you were talking about the antecedent, uh, Dr. Smith, um, this kid could be seeing abuse in his house. He could be seeing his mom being treated that way. And because of that, this is now his response in terms of like how he interacts and engages with women. And so I think that this is an important conversation because now it puts us, 
it puts us as therapists, right? Like principals don't principals wear many hats. And one of those hats is having straight up conversations. Again, title of this is how can we uh how can parents utilize schools as thought partners? A lot of times we're having conversations with parents about how to parent, right? Because they don't necessarily get it right. And when those folks are humble enough to come to us to ask us for advice, we got to give them really good advice. We got to be, you know, we got to give them that word. Right. And so what's your, what is your advice? to let's say, uh, for example, this is a single mom raising a little boy, right? No, you know what? Damn that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not falling into that trope. These are these are parents that are having problems with, with with their son. What is your advice to them, Doctor Smith? Uh, I guess my, my advice, the first piece of that conversation, really is like, mom, dad, when you watch this video, tell me what your initial reaction is. You know, because this is your son doing this, so give me your reaction from that standpoint. But then imagine that this was your daughter. It's like really kind of I need to gauge where their thought processes will, because unfortunately, and I'm not trying to fall victim to anything. There's going to be some parents that are going to, you know, basically not see an issue with it. Unfortunately, there's, I mean, there are some parents out there that's not going to see an issue with it. So I first want to gauge kind of where their mindset is at and understand what is my entry point from there. So now let's assume that they are saying, you know what, my son should have did this. This is, you know, definitely wrong. How do I get approached that conversation is from the standpoint of, okay, you know, where did he get this, you know, where did this come from? Why did he feel it was okay for him to put his hands on a young lady like this? Not just a female, but like a very younger female in this sense or whatever. And then like, what is the support and wraparound service that we can get him? Because obviously I feel like this young man has some built up aggression. He has some built up anger. So how can we get him some supports, whether it be through, you know, therapy, counseling or whatever, to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because I mean, I'm not sure the age of these kids, but looking at the video, this young man, like he might be middle school, maybe a freshman in high school. Like, yeah, you might, you're going to get some time out of school. You might get, you know, it might become a criminal case, but like five, six years from now, you're going to be out in the community. And if this was to happen, you know, God forbid what can take place, you know, when the police show up, everything like that. So really, you know, we not only are trying to prepare people to be ready for the next grade level, the next level, whether it be middle school to high school or high school to college, we have to prepare them to be what it's going to look like when you're out in the world. Because a lot of these protections you get when you're in school, those protections don't exist when you get out into the real world. Yo, and, and so with you saying that, right? And, and Ball, I'm gonna let you jump in and, and add your add your three cents. Um, bro, I, I'm not even yo, we gotta think about the community, right? And we also gotta think about the community's response to this. We gotta think about if this little girl has older brothers, we gotta think about the family of this older girl, because like this could turn, like this could this could this could turn escalate real quick and there's a lot of folks that would feel justified in any action that they took based off of this behavior that was taken by this kid so and if we be real we know our community some people gonna be like hey it is what it is you you dealt that's how you deal with it you got dealt with so like we that's why like we go back we got to address the cause not just the symptoms yeah. of what we see on the video yeah to, to prevent, this, prevent this from ever happening again because this could turn ugly ball what conversation you having with uh what kind of conversation you having with the parents yeah the boy yeah, the parents of the boy, you know, I think just like Dr. Smith said, again, we got very similar types of thoughts. What services, what what can we put in place in order to support you and your child going through this? You know, I, I don't know what they have access to as a family. So how, how do we step in to, again, fill that gap that, that might exist? Um, you know, when when I hear law enforcement, you know, bring bringing that that to the situation. I mean, that's scary. And in, in the times that we live in as a, as a young black man, um, knowing that this, the other family might get law enforcement involved 
you know, that is not the path that we want to go down. So, you know, whatever it is that we can do, whether it's counseling, whether it is uh, some other support uh, so that he doesn't feel like this is the route that he wants to go in order to resolve a conflict or whatever was going on in that situation. See, y'all better than me because, like, when it comes down to incidents like this, bro, I got zero tolerance for this, man. I'm like, I'm I'm on my Charleston White when it comes down to this. We call it we call it law enforcement. <laughs> I mean that that that's a, I mean so but but that's I mean, a reality. Right. That is, but you reality. but you preface all this by saying what is the restorative conversation? So we're gonna like we're yeah. gonna go down that road, but at some point we got to restore this young man back to the community. So all those yeah. things are going to take place. But you preface this by saying, what was the restorative conversation with those parents? Now, don't get me wrong. Like, if it's me, and that, you can call my staff. He can't come back to my school. I'm sorry. Yeah. He yeah. can't come back to my school. Yeah. Like, plain and simple. You, like, you I, would have to, it would, it, so, so I'll say this, right? I won't say that he couldn't come back to my school, but he would have to show a lot, a hell of a lot of growth in the time that he's out in order, and a whole lot of remorse. And he would have to be accepted back by the school community, right? Like, I feel like, I feel like I would have to hear from the voices of, of, of our students that they felt safe with him being back into the community, right? So I think that's that's one of the restorative pieces that, that we got to take into account as well, you know, how safe do students feel, right? And then also, you know, uh, uh, Helene Smith, I want to say Helene, is it Helene? Helene Smith says, what about the victim? And that's a really good question, right? So, like, what supports are we putting in for the victim? Uh, Dr. Ball, uh, future Dr. Ball, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, it's, it's really important that they're getting the counseling. She's getting the counseling that she needs, um, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, you know, riding that bus is probably not going to be something that she wants to do moving forward. I mean, I can I can imagine that. So do we have to figure out another form of transportation to support her? Um, you know, what else is she doing? I mean, think about that, the, the stigma that might come along with, you know, you're, you're on you're on social media. You know, is, is how how is she going to deal with that? How are we going to help her recover from that? And, and all the students that were involved that were on the bus and saw it, uh, I mean, there's a lot that she's going to need potentially in order to be able to come back to school and be able to function uh, in a in a way that she's going to be able to learn. Yeah, I love that. Hey, 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 Ball, I don't know if you saw it, right? But uh, you, you see, you see him uh, uh, signaling for his motion lights, right? You yeah. See, you see this guy, all that bread in California. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love right. that. All right. So, so, so we'll go through. We'll go through one more uh, problem of practice. We'll call it right before before we sign off. You know, because we're giving out free PD today. Uh, and so, um, we'll call this one addressing disrespect as well. And so, want to get y'all's perspective on this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my I hate even playing this, but it happens in schools every day. 
And so for us not to play it, it would be irresponsible for us not to act, for us to act like this doesn't happen on a daily basis, right? And so, uh, Smitty, I know you have some thoughts, sir. What what are you what, what are you thinking? Oh, and so and so, uh, uh, if you're listening in the audience, if you're listening or, or later on the audio version of this, uh, we just played a video of a little girl uh, being very disrespectful to her female teacher. Uh, they ended up getting into a physical alter- altercation. Uh, the teacher ended up with a broken leg. So that's that's the follow-up. The teacher ended up with a broken leg. All right. So, uh, Smitty, thoughts? Um, man, um, I, I guess I would start with, like, it, it's really hard to judge the situation. I mean, because we're seeing, like, what, a 30-second, 30, 45-second clip of the situation. We don't see what led up to the altercation. We don't see what de-escalation tried to happen before we got to the point where the, the phones came out. Um, obviously something happened because kids had their phone out by the time they started recording. So um, it's kind of hard to speak on that there. Um, but definitely I, I tell my teachers, like we never get into a power struggle with the kid. Uh, the, the easiest thing is just to ask the kid to leave the room, um, you know, send them, send them on their way. We'll catch them in the hallway. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Um, or, you know, you call for assistance, but like never get into a back and forth with a student. I mean, definitely you never want to put your hands on a student. If a student's trying to leave the classroom, let them leave. Like do not ever block a door and let it tell a kid they can't leave a classroom or anything like that. So um, it's, it's very hard to, to, to speak on and not knowing exactly what escalated the whole situation. Um, but uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's very disheartening to see that young lady that, you know, that young lady acting like that towards that. And once again, I go back to like we talked about with the previous situation is like, you know, we see the symptom with her acting out like that. What is the underlying cause that we do need to address? Because if we don't ever address that underlying cause, this is going to act out again, no matter what the teacher, you know, who the teacher is. You know, it was this teacher this time. It could be a different teacher the next time. So definitely we want to make sure that we are trying to find what is the cause that this young lady thought it was OK to put her hands on and talk to an adult in that manner. Bro. So we're talking about root cause, right? And both incidents, we're talking about the, what the root cause is. You got teachers that are straight up leaving the profession because of student behavior and behavior that that, that is not being addressed at home, right? And one of the things that you left out, Smitty, even though you eloquently uh, stated, you know, w- what you saw and what you thought, you didn't talk about the parent. You didn't talk about, like, that that aspect of, like, I know I was taught that you don't fight your battles yourself when it comes down to adults and being at school. You take copious notes, you come home, you let me know what happened, and then I go back and I fight your battles as me being the adult. Somehow, I feel like with this generation of kids, that's gotten lost in translation <laughs> in terms of like what the expectations is for a child. And, I don't think- yeah. I, was saying, I don't think it got lost in translation. I don't think parents believe in that philosophy anymore. Like oh. I, I think about my generation who are now those kids who are in school. Like yeah. I remember being in school and being traumatized by teachers and then teachers telling my parents a different story than yeah. what truly took place. So, you know, if you got enough of those stories, now I'm a parent. I don't trust the school. I don't believe in what the school is saying about my kids. So I, I'm, I'm going to tell my kid, if somebody disrespects you, you disrespect them back. Now, I'm not saying that that's right by any means, but I'm yeah. telling you, there are parents out there that are telling their kids, if you feel disrespected, by yeah. anybody, I don't care if it's a child or an adult, you have yeah. the right to disrespect them back. And that's the kind of thing that we as a school, unfortunately, have to try to counterproduct. And I, and I talked about our check-in meetings with our students last week. I told them, I said, I, I'm all for kids advocating, but you yeah. have to know when and where to advocate. If yeah. a teacher sending you to a buddy room, that ain't the point, that ain't the time to advocate. Yeah. You go to the buddy room, 
you figure out your words. And then when you process with that teacher about what happened, that's when you advocate for yourself. Yeah. But in the moment, you can't advocate because there's too many emotions going on. And you got to remember, like, we're talking about anywhere from eight-year-olds eight year to 17-year-olds who don't have the full frontal lobe processing for them or whatever. You don't do the development like, argument? You doing it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Ball, ball, what's your take? I'm, I'm not listening to this shit. I mean, that 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 is that whole thing is crazy. And I think um, we, as much as I feel about it, like as an adult, you got to de-escalate. Like if 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 the if the kid is is on ten like that, you got to remove yourself from the situation. I mean, you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you're putting your hands on a kid or uh, things like that. De-escalate, de-escalate, de-escalate. If the, if you you know, like Smitty said, if they want to leave, let them leave. Don't engage. But I mean, at the worst, I mean, you leave the you leave the room. You go get help. Yeah. Versus trying to uh, engage, ended up engaging with a student like that. It, it's sad to see. I think Smitty hit on it. There's there's some folks that you know, like you know, you stand you stand up on your own two feet and you uh, stand up for yourself. What you you handle your business. Don't don't come don't come home with that. Uh, you know, complaining and then whatnot. But you know, it's it's tough because you you have no idea what's going on in these kids' minds. And yeah. you know why they're doing what they're doing, but you know, as adult, you you got to adult and, and step back and, yeah. and not engage. Not and we a, both talked about no. de-escalation. I would, how many schools actually do go through de-escalation training with their staff? Hey, talk to them about the, I, the, whole, I just, the continuum that you know that you go from the end seating all the way back down to level head. Like, and once you you know, at some yeah. point, you got to lose that lose that fight to win the war. So, like, yeah. I think that's a PD that we definitely need to make sure teachers are and, getting. Um, Hey, you know what? Yeah, and that brings me to this, man. We could do a webinar. Uh, we could do a webinar on de-escalation, right? And uh, and just put it out, put it out free PD or whatever, just so that you know, folks that know, like in instances like this, how to de-escalate. Because you know, it's it's unfortunate because, like, you know, I'm I'm thinking about the restorative piece on this, right? Because we we're also talking about like restoration in terms of all three of these, all three of these opportunities for growth, and it's like. There's no, there's no real restorative piece if you if you go out with a with a broken leg and then you're coming back to school. It's like you know that's gonna be pretty far fetched for you to want to sit down with the student that caused that harm to you as an adult, right? So it, it's gonna take a real, it's gonna take real growth from from the adult as well in terms of this this uh you know how to how to approach the situation. It's gonna be tough. Woo! Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but but if you're if you're listening to this podcast, watching this podcast, uh, and you're a teacher, you're an educator. If there's any feedback that we can give to you right now, is keep your hands as far away from these students as humanly possible. Uh, don't get into a struggling match with these students. Uh, walk away. It's okay to walk away. It is okay to walk away. Right? You walk. You go get the building leader. You go get the dean. You go get whoever you need to get in order to to handle this situation. Right. And, and and that's how we roll with it. We are not trying to get into no uh, battles with no, with no teenagers. We're not we're not trying to do that at all. And 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 also, man, we got to take into consideration. You know, these kids are two years removed from school. Their interactions with their peers has become a lot of the social media interaction. So it's like, all right, let me put on for you so that you know we can go viral. We can do all these things and whatnot, man. I feel like if we don't. We don't come in this generation of students. And so, yeah, man, that's where we at. So 
Closing us out, Smitty, final thoughts, man. Good to have y'all back in the lab, free PD. Uh, what's your final thoughts, sir? Uh, it's, it's always good back to be back in the lab. My final thought is nothing groundbreaking, earth shattering. It's really just a reminder. Um, and I, I think it's, it's very fitting with um, kind of disrespect. But uh, I just want to remind people to, you know, give people their flowers while you can. Uh, back in December, uh, one of my students uh, who I saw grow from sixth to eighth grade, she was a part of my first sixth grade class. I got to see go all the way through middle school and was a freshman, um, you know, passed on and got her angel wings. Um, so definitely um, that was a very difficult thing for me speaking at her funeral um, and just hearing some words that she spoke about her middle school experience um, and the impact that, you know, we had on her life um, and her mom and talking with her mom and things like that. Um, and then my best friend, um, Danielle Blacksock, who was a, a bomb uh, administrator, principal at University Academy, uh, who I've seen grow um, from a, a first year math teacher now being a principal of a school, um, lost her, her little brother. Um, and we just buried him this past Saturday. And speaking at that funeral um, is definitely hard. So man, I, I've just been telling a lot of people that I've been rocking with, you know, how much I appreciate them. I appreciate being back on here. This is de definitely fitting and timing, timely for us to be back together and everything like that. But definitely, man, make sure you give people their flowers while you still can. Yo, bro, I knew nothing about, well, I think I knew about your student passing, but I don't think you extended an mm -hmm. invite to the cul-de-sac. Um, and then I did. <laughs> I didn't knew nothing about uh, about about your your friend's uh, brother, and so you know KC is one of my favorite landing spots. That Banana Republic is epic uh, in downtown KC. So any opportunity I can get to be there uh, to celebrate life or to celebrate anything, coming to that banana. So invite me. Uh, Ball, what's happening, bro? Yeah, um, the last two weeks uh, for for us have been you know pretty hectic. Uh, home, you know, school, those things. But kind of like Smitty says, uh, it's it's been really cool. We're finishing up our winter sports with wrestling, basketball, soccer, and, and all those things. And so we've got a couple senior nights that we've had over the last couple weeks. We got some uh, this week and next week. And so you know, it's really cool to be back in the community with high schoolers and, and getting to see them, you know, kind of transition, finish out their uh, athletic careers and uh, just celebrate them. So, you know, just want to give a huge shout out to all my winter senior sport athletes that have been doing an outstanding job uh, showing, showing their school spirit, showing off their athleticism and representing us really, really well. Um, it, it is good to be back at the high school. Yeah. Man, y'all don't understand how good this podcast is, bro. Uh, this is theory where theory meets practice, and people need this, man. People need this free PD. Uh, looking forward to getting back into a cadence to uh to give give folks this good PD uh uh weekly or bi-weekly, whatever we decide on, man. But we back in the lab, we back, we fight. Um, so my final thoughts. So my closing thoughts are I absolutely hate book fairs. And it's a personal reason why I hate book fairs. So Scholastic, it's nothing against you per se. And so I hate book fairs because when I was growing up, I never had money to go to the book fairs. And so I had to watch 25, 26 kids in my class go and pick out any book that they wanted to pick out while I had no money to get books. And so I was an avid reader. Uh, I think my favorite reading series was uh, by Judy Bloom. Um, and, and I just, I, I loved reading, but I couldn't afford to go to the book fair. And so every time it came, I cried because I couldn't get any books because my family wasn't in a position to do that. And so folks, if you are having book fairs, uh, think about those kids that may not be able to afford those books. 
uh, make sure that you are putting money to the side, uh, fundraising or going into that fundraising um, envelope in order to help those kids out. Uh, it, it will be meaningful to them and it will be meaningful to me. So you guys have been listening to another episode of the Engage podcast. I was about to say eight black hands, but they annoy me. And I just got joy out of this. So <laughs> we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Peace. Peace.